I've been doing this over half a decade and it was really hard to present sustainability programs to festivals before because they didn't see a need for it. They just got over spending more money on just typical waste management. So they didn't understand the fact that we now have to go into every single department and look at ways to eliminate the waste before even managing it. So that was a, a big, it was a tough sell, I would say for a while, but within the past year or two, it's been a lot easier to sell it, but also greenwashing is bigger than ever the events world, which has been tough to deal with because we'll have events spending a ton of money on marketing and PR for the sustainability programs. But then what they're doing isn't really that groundbreaking. Usually when you see a festival overselling the sustainability programs, typically means that they're not doing anything groundbreaking, whereas the ones that are doing amazing sustainability programs, they don't spend all the money on marketing it. Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you, hear their struggles, and then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public, personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. Overwhelmingly, my conversations with people about acting on our environmental values seem to come from a begrudging perspective. God, how much more do I have to do? Isn't it okay to use compostable? It's so complicated. I'm not using straws. What more do you want from me? And even people who have acted and enjoy the outcome, they still tend to talk about how much they've done, often implying that since they've done more than most, that they deserve congratulations or a chance to rest on their laurels or some sort of appreciation. Nobody talks about things they like that way. When you eat a delicious, healthy meal and you're famished, you don't say, oh, I've eaten the appetizer. How much more do you want me to eat? Or isn't it okay that I took a small bite? Do I really have to eat more? When you really love it, every bite leads you to eat more and you feel great about it. If you enjoy a walk in the woods, you don't say, oh, now that I've done it, can I just be done? How many more walks in the woods do I have to do? Talking to Marina about acting environmentally is like talking with someone who loves their food or walk in the park from actual experience and they're sharing that joy and they want more of that joy. She doesn't try to stop or say, I've reached a limit or I've reached more than enough. How much more do you want from me? She enjoys doing more. She wants to do more. So I had to bring her on. It's so refreshing. And I hope that people get to this place where it's like, oh, I've done all this stuff. Now I want to do even more. Nature is like that, at least in my experience. It's not an obligation. It's something that the more you do it, the more you love to do. I found the conversation getting more engaging as it went on, which is why I let it go longer. The longer you listen to it, I think the really great stuff is toward the end. So here's Marina. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodek. I'm here with Marina McCoy. Marina, how are you? I'm doing great, Josh. How about you? I'm very good. And I want to bring the listeners in on something that a lot of them know that my general practice is I try to get people who with like well-known names that are so that people who listen can say, oh, you know, I've been meaning to act on this. Is anyone else? Oh, yes. This person that I know is. And you work with a lot of people like that because you are a let's see, you work with a lot of musicians and work with a lot of concerts. And in a second, I want to ask about what you do and, and about the people you work with and the st- sort of things that you help them with. 
But I also want to point out that what the reason it's driving me for this conversation is the conversations that you and I have had, and so few people really get it deeply about what it means to live sustainably and how to live it and not just make excuses to keep doing what you were doing or try to explain how what you are doing is okay and not feel like it's a burden, but really enjoy striving to, I don't know, to me, it feels like living in harmony with nature. And I don't want to give anything away, but I just wanted to prep why I'm so enthusiastic about talking with you and how joyful our conversations were before. And that's, I I had to get that out. Awesome. Well, I feel very honored. I've enjoyed our conversations too. I'm super excited about this one. And what led me to you was that uh, I was working with the summit to try to help them become more sustainable and in particular, help their behavior reach the sustainability that they claim. And you do stuff like this. You work with large events to help them be more sustainable. Did I do it justice? Yeah, you did. We build sustainable strategies for events ranging from small community events, conferences, upwards to events of 100,000 people per day, like music festivals. 100,000 people a day sounds like something I've heard of. Any big ones? Like, what ones have you done? So we have done our biggest one that we do all the sustainable strategies for is an event called Snow Globe put on by MTV, which is their New Year's Eve event out in South Lake Tahoe, California. And we also help with the food vendor compliance and making sure that all the food vendors get all their compostable gear for Bonnaroo and Outside Lands, which are the 100,000 people per day. Wow. So Bonnaroo and MTV, these are really big names. How'd you start? I started when I realized I was a hypocrite (laughs) back when I was, I believe, 19, 20 years old. I was attending a music festival called the Friendly Gathering down in Southern Vermont near my hometown. It was per se like our high school reunion event that all of us would go to when we're back from college. And we were walking back one night to our tents. It was pouring rain outside. There was glow sticks all stuck in the ground. The ground was really just ingesting them. And a group of girls walked by and commented how bad they were for the environment. And in my head, I agreed. I was like, oh man, they suck. But none of us picked them up. And I went back to my tent and didn't have any lights on, but realized my tent was glowing and looked myself up and down and realized that I had glow sticks from my head down to my ankles. And from that moment on, I realized that I was a hypocrite, even though I was studying sustainability, I wasn't putting my, what I was learning in place, but I was preaching sustainability. From that moment on, I just became really aware of my impacts and wanted to create change because I just kept on seeing waste everywhere. And for the rest of the weekend, I couldn't stop seeing all the plastic cups, the solo cups that people brought and how we were here to build this amazing community, but yet we were destroying it at the same time. So that year I got really involved with reducing my waste starting to live plastic-free and a zero-waste type of lifestyle. I reached back out to that festival called The Friendly Gathering and asked them if I could help out with sustainability. They said that they couldn't pay me, but I could be a rock star volunteer. So I signed up for it. (laughs) I was only 20 years old, so I was very excited. And everything just made sense when I was on site working with the attendees and getting them involved with our sustainable strategies, diverting the waste, we would sort through every single bag. So I got a clear understanding of what was coming through our waste stream so I could better plan for next year for the signage and the bands that we put on certain projects. And it was, everything just clicked. And at the end of that event, they ended up paying me. 
and I was with them for five years. They went on hiatus this year, but that was my first real event that I led the sustainability at at the age of 20, which was pretty amazing. And from there, I just started to get referred to other events from producers. And I, now I do about 16 events all throughout the country. And I founded my company two years ago called Waste Free Earth. I have so many questions to ask. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I want to call something out that a lot of people think that acting environmentally is a distraction from what they really want to do. And, you know, I want to be a leader. And that for them, somehow leading means working their way up the corporate ladder or following others. But you volunteered and I want to call us out. If there's by about 7 billion people, there's huge demand for environmental leadership. No one's doing it. And if someone does it, they will get rewarded for it. And you're an example of that. So that's not really a question I want to call that out. The question I want to ask is, going back to when you saw the light sticks on you, you said that you noticed it. I wonder if you can, if it's too personal, you don't have to answer. But do you remember how you felt emotionally at that moment? Because it brings me back to when I first, for some reason, looked down at my garbage and saw how much garbage I was producing and how much of it came from food waste. And I felt all this guilt and shame. And then I felt like I had realized that I'd been pushing it down all this time. And it was there whether I wanted it or not. The question was whether I was going to be aware of it. And once I was aware of it, consciously aware of it, because I knew it was there and I would just kind of shove it down. Every time I'd get, I'd open a can of, of beans, I'd think, is this the best way I can get beans? But then I'd push it down and not think about it and be like, well, that's what everyone else does. No problem. And then the only way that I could do anything about the guilt and the shame, the helplessness was actually to act on it, which required me to be aware of it. But that awareness was deeply uncomfortable, which is why I pushed it away for so long. And I wonder if you had an experience like that too. Yeah, I would say I felt a lot of guilt and shame. Really, like the hypocrite is the best word that uh, comes to mind because I was so involved at my college, being on the sustainability club and even this, well, I guess the sustainability chair came after my realization on student government. But I just remember looking down and be like, oh my God, I am what I despise, like a total hypocrite. I'm preaching sustainability. I'm acting like I'm a little hippie at this music festival when really I'm not. I'm just like everyone else who's kind of preaching sustainability, but not doing anything to back it up. And I really wanted to start changing my own direction and make actual change because I'm studying about what's happening with the environment, the overflowing landfills and what we're doing to our oceans and all wildlife. But I was still a huge contributor to it. So unless I changed my ways individually, there was no way that we could really make viable change with the climate change movement is what I saw in my eyes. Because we could talk about how big of a footprint corporations have, but yet we're the ones feeding the corporations too when we vote, like when we purchase products from them, we're voting with our dollar. So my way to rebel against that is to not support those types of corporations and to not support companies that are overpackaging their products. So by me living plastic-free and zero waste for the past six years, because I'm 26 now, so I started that when I was 20, that's my way of rebelling against the corporations and not supporting their practices unless they really start to change, which some are now, but then that's like another greenwashing. That's another conversation <laughs> that we could talk about too. So you didn't envision leading anyone 
your initial goal was to change yourself. Do I read that right? Yeah. It's just what I felt like I had to do. And I'm definitely more of a leave from behind type of leader. Uh, I read a lot of Simon Sinek books and he's really inspired my leadership capabilities. I used to be really upfront. I think when I first got into the environmental (laughs) movement, I was pretty preachy, but again, not really practicing the stuff. And I've learned now that I've inspired way more people by just my silent actions and bringing my to-go container when I'm at my friend's house or when we go out to eat or even at my family gatherings because they still use Dixie plates and stuff like that. But more and more people, even I was taking a woman's business class every Tuesday for the past eight weeks, I was bringing my container with me. And by the end of it, half of the people were bringing their own containers and even bought reusable products. And that to me made me so happy. And I didn't have to preach about it. I just let them know that this is how I choose to live my life and the negative effects that waste have. And it really inspired them. And now they're reducing their waste daily too. You know, when I post online to some thread on some place about environmental stuff and I say, you know, you can do stuff yourself. And they're like, oh yeah, well, I can't do anything compared to governments and corporations. And yet the people who are most effective began without any intent of leading others. And what did you expect would come if you felt guilty and hypocritical when you started? Did you have any expectation of how you'd feel later? And how do you feel now? I feel amazing now. It's, I don't even think about buying things in plastic anymore. It doesn't even come to mind. It's really easy to avoid it. Granted, I do live in Burlington, Vermont, where we have co-ops everywhere and bulk sections are very accessible to us, but I just wouldn't imagine going to a grocery store and buying chips in a plastic bag. And a lot of stuff is pretty, like it's junk food that comes in the plastic packaging. There are things that are healthy that come in packaged containers. But for me, I feel really good because it's my way of giving back to the earth that has given so much to us. And Ah, it's hard to put into words, but to me, it's just the right thing to do. I don't feel good when I am consuming plastic products. Like when I food rescue from the events, when we have all this leftover packaged food, like the almond milk, things like that, I definitely use it. But then I'm left with all this trash and it's overwhelming. Like I didn't spend my dollars to support those products, but I didn't want to go to waste. So I still ended up consuming it especially when I'm living out of my van during the summertime, I don't have much space for waste, even recyclable stuff I try to avoid because that still has a large footprint. And it's overwhelming. Like I get overwhelmed when I go to my friend's house or my family's house or the gatherings and there's all this waste because I don't have to think about that anymore because I don't create much waste myself throughout the whole, my whole day. <laughs> so it's really overwhelming when I'm around a lot of waste now because it's something I haven't had to think about for the past over half decade. It's weird that how much things switch the perspective because I used to think, oh, it seems like too much work. I don't want to deal with all that. I I just want to be, you know, I just want to live regular. And now I look at that and I'm like, it's the, the word disgust has been showing up in my vocabulary more and more and more. And I was reading some old letters that I wrote to my high school girlfriend. People who read my blog will see that it's like this, they're from the 80s. And I was talking about how I'd like drink a Pepsi. And I was like, I can't believe that I did that. It's so far removed from me today. Like if I were dying of thirst and someone was like, here's a Pepsi, I'd be like, I'm still dying of thirst and I don't have anything to drink. And be like, well, here's a Pepsi. I'm like, I wouldn't register it as something that would go in my body. And that doesn't seem hard. I definitely feel the same way. (laughs) 
I've um, pushed the limit a couple of times when we work events and the water system isn't set up yet for free water refills. And they have plastic water bottles that they gave the site crew and I'll avoid having it as much as possible. And then I started bringing my own water filter. So then I could just drink out of the tap or the bathroom because I had running water and then it was totally fine, but I avoided it as much as possible and still never had to consume water out of a plastic water bottle. But I would go around actively trying to figure out where I could drink the water from and then getting a portable water filter, save that. So it's way less stressful when there's no water on site yet. That reminds me of, I went dancing uh, with an old friend of mine, a DJ that I'd like back in the day, right? I'm 48 years old. I was probably 47 at the time. And we go out and we're dancing and he disappeared for a bit and he came back and he's like, here's some water. And he hands me a bottle of water. I was like, I look at it. I'm like, my hands didn't even move to accept it. You know, I was like, I'm not going to touch that. And he knows about the podcast and all this stuff. Although he flies around a lot, but I was like thirsty. Well, I wasn't quite thirsty. I knew I'd be thirsty, but I was like, it didn't look like water to me. It just looked like landfill garbage. You start to get trash eyes. That's what I always tell my friends. Trash eyes. Tell me more about that. I think I might start using this term. Yeah. It's just when you look at things, when I go shopping, I mainly avoid the middle aisles because I don't really need anything from there because the bulk sections on the perimeter, same with all the baked bread and the fruits and vegetables. So I don't really go into the middle aisles, but once in a while, like if I have to get pasta sauce, I find myself in the middle aisles and there's just so much over packaging. And once you have become aware of your own waste consumption, you start to become aware of everyone's waste consumption, even like restaurants that you go to when you're going out shopping, if you go to stadium games, concerts, it's just always there. And it's overwhelming to see how some people or some products just overpackage for no reason. I'll look at a container and it's double wrapped in plastic. And in my head, I'm like, how was this cheaper to produce than just having like a single strip of plastic? Why does it have to be double wrapped in plastic? Or even essential oils, some of my friends will gift me and it will come, it's just like a glass container, but for some reason it's like double wrapped in cardboard, but then wrapped in plastic too. But it's completely unnecessary because what's on the box is exactly what is on the glass container. So why do you need this big array of packaging? Because to me, it, it doesn't look good, but I've been living waste-free for six years. So when I see overpackaged stuff, I don't think that that's a good display. Whereas maybe people on the marketing side of things think that that's great because then it pops out more. But to me, I just think it looks like trash. <laughs> I think a lot of people when they're in the store, probably most people don't even notice. They don't think twice about it. Increasingly, people notice it and they think about it. I think a lot of people just say, what can I do? And I can't change anything. This is the way things are. And sometimes someone will change a law or something. But in the meantime, I should just keep doing what I'm doing. And besides, I'm hungry or I want to smell good if it's an essential oil or whatever they're for. And how do you react when you see it? I just don't see the point in putting my money towards it. And so do you do without? Are you living a life of... It's like if you've ever gone camping or backpacking and you've been in the wilderness for multiple days on end or even just for a day and you go into a store, it's really overwhelming because you haven't been around or it's overstimulating, I would say is probably a better word because you've just been in nature and you haven't had to deal with these like annoying technical robotic sounds and just the overconsumption. I think that's really what hits me is that I see all that food and studying sustainability. I know that a good amount of that food is 
probably going to end up in the dumpster or not used. Or if it gets picked up, whoever house it's going to, they may not have recycling or composting available. So it's just going to end up in the landfill. So that's kind of where my mind goes because I'm very systems-based. So just always thinking of a full like life cycle of a product. And now the way that the recycling guidelines are constantly changing, the products that they're putting out in the packaging, a lot of it's non-recyclable too. So people are just buying this product. And again, there's definitely sometimes people have to purchase certain things for health reasons, but a good amount of the product we really don't need. You could get way more nutrients from cooking a potato than a whole bag of chips. And potato is way less expensive than a whole bag of chips. Granted, it does take more time to bake the potato. So it's it's definitely, you have to adapt to it. And it's a lot of systems change. But once you, I'd say after you get over this six month, one year hurdle, it just becomes a way of life because we're creatures of habits. And once you create this habit, it's kind of no looking back to it. How do you feel about when people say you're with someone and they're not, they haven't gone through that six month or year. So say you're walking in the, you're walking in the store and I don't know, maybe they pick up a bag of Doritos and how do you react? What's the situation? Cause I certainly face these things a lot. I'm not looking for stuff, but I'm grossed out by a lot of these things that I used to think it was as normal. Mm-hmm. And what reactions do you see and what, how do you respond to them or how do they make you feel? People always say they feel guilty when they're around me (laughs) is probably the biggest thing is because when we go out to eat, I went out to eat and at this faux place and I brought my own container, but I ended up not having any leftover food. And my friend, without even thinking about it, ordered himself a container. It came back in styrofoam. And even though I had a container there and before he like dumped it in there, in the styrofoam container, like he could have used my container. I would have been happy to give it to him. And he was just like, oh, crap. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, like <laughs> you could have used it. So I get that reaction a lot. Or when we go out to the bars for a drink, like I won't consume alcohol if they're, if they're serving in a plastic cup or if there's straws in it. Or even if I know that they're not actually recycling, there's a music venue in town that I go to quite a bit, but I know that they're really not recycling their cans. So to me, it's like a, just a great excuse not to have to drink because I feel like, oh, blame it on my morals. Like I'm not going to consume alcohol because of, <laughs> because of the plastic or them not having recycling in place. But then my friends will grab out of a plastic cup and always the reaction is like, oh, crap. Or like, oh, I always feel guilty when I'm around you. Or I'll get texts a lot of the times. People call it, what would Marina do? And asking about, hey, like, would you buy this? Or what should I do in this scenario? Or, hey, like, where's, can I drop off my composting in this area? Simple sustainability questions. Or when they're making a bad sustainability <laughs> decision, then again, that's, it pops in their head, what would Marina do? And then they try to switch their behaviors, which I think is really good. I think that speaks a lot to just living out your own values and inspires other people to do the same. How do you feel about people saying that you make them feel guilty? (laughs) I just laugh. I think it's really funny that I've gotten in their head that much with just putting out the knowledge that that I care about waste-free living. I take it as a compliment because I know that I'm not being preachy towards people. If people want to have a conversation about it, I'm I'm open ears to that. But if people aren't really down for the conversation, I'm not going to 
bug about it, but usually everyone always comments on it because I carry my reusable plate with me or container, my water bottle, my hanky. People always comment on the hanky or I bring my compost out too. So if I'm out and about and I have an apple core and I know there's no composting, I have this reusable silicone bag called the stasher bag and I put my apple core in there or my banana peel in there or for out for tacos, there's always the limes that you get. So I'll package those up and bring them with me. Oh man. Okay. I got to share some things. <laughs> if someone says they feel guilty, I say, if you're acting by your values, I don't see any reason to feel guilty. So that has nothing to do with me. If Now, if you act against your values, as I don't know how other people's minds work, but that's when the guilt comes. And I don't create guilt. If it's there and they feel it, it was there before me, independent yeah. of me. And at best I can like make them more conscious of it. But self-awareness is usually what people promote, not what they like moving away from self-awareness. I've never heard of someone saying that improves their life. Yeah. And yeah, the compost. So, okay. I have to share it. I was at a, some event and for some reason there was like, I missed breakfast and I was going to miss lunch and all they had, they had a pile of apples. So I was like, all right, I'm going to eat some apples. So I just ate the whole thing. The core, like I'd heard of people eating the cores and the seeds. Yeah. So I was like, well, now's my chance. So I just ate a couple of apples, the whole thing through. And I still cut, when at home, I cut out the seeds and put them in the, in the food scraps for composting. Banana peels I eat and- Wow. Yeah, edible. And I mean, I've cut back on bananas a lot because I've read about some of the practices of the predecessors to Dole and Del Monte, but organic bananas I'll get sometimes. And of course I wash them anyway, but yeah, there's still the, the very top and the very bottom, but it's almost nothing gets- Wasted. And same with the garnishes and drinks, like the limes and the lemons. Citrus peels are edible. All the fiber and most of the vitamin C, it turns out, is in the peel. So I just eat those. Wow. That is next level. <laughs> I'll definitely be more inclined to try it now. I have eaten an apple the whole way through a couple of times, but I just ne- haven't gotten in the habit of it. But it's definitely worth considering more that you, that you yeah, I'm definitely not in the habit of it. <laughs> and I think I, one of the reasons I like talking to you is like, you're like, oh, that's interesting. And a lot of people are like, you're weird. No, it's but, awesome that you like, have taken it that step further. Like I've made banana well, actually, peel tea before, but I've never had the eight and the banana peel. It's actually less weird to me because certainly with the citrus peels, I put them in my stews. And actually the person I interviewed just before you, she'd come over from my famous no packaging vegetable stew. And she was blown away how the orange peel, she kept calling it orange zest. I think zest is when you shred it, but this is like whole chunks. And she really liked it. It made her feel like springtime. So uh, everyone should listen to the episode with Rhonda to get in her words. But yeah, I learned to, I learned to cook with it and I learned to, oh, here's what I learned. Okay. Orange or any citrus fruit. Most people know that when you get orange juice, nutritionally, it's not that different than soda because it's basically just the sugar and there's a little vitamin C, but not many people get scurvy. So most people get plenty of vitamin C. So it's not really of any nutritional value. It's a lot of empty calories. When you take the peel off an orange, I don't see how the inside is that much more fiber. It's not, I don't, I think just eating the inside of an orange is also basically like drinking orange juice. Some people think the peel, that's weird, but Often you'll see candied peels or chocolate-covered peels or vodka-infused peels that people eat. It seems to me that an orange is a very nutritious thing to eat. And we, instead of having a nutritious full orange, we'll split it into the juice, which we make into something unhealthy. And then we soak 
the peel in sugar and fat if it's chocolate and make it unhealthy. So we take a perfectly healthy thing and make it into two unhealthy things. And people say- That's such a crazy way to look at it. <laughs> they say that the peel is like too bitter. And they, so they, that's why they put the sugar in it. I'm like, you know, it actually came with an inside that was not bitter, that was sweet. And they complement each other very well. And so now to me, orange alone is too sweet. It's just the inside. So the peel fits. Wow. So you just eat, you cut it up and then just eat it with the peel and the inside. Huh. I'll yeah. definitely have to try it. If I'm at a bar and someone got a, some drink with a, a lemon or a lime in it, when they finish it, I'll just eat it. The whole thing. I, just, I mean, it's like a little lime wedge or, and, you know, I don't know. I just nibble on it. And if they say, I presume that whatever pesticides are on it are more in the alcohol than in the thing, but I'll, I'll wipe it off. Ah. And if people think I'm weird, so be it. But I think they're weird for throwing out edible food. Yeah. It's like treating food as something that's like decoration. And I'm like, actually, yeah, in an alcoholic beverage, the lime wedge is actually the most nutritious part of it and very flavorful. Yeah, you definitely have that right about the most nutrition, <laughs> nutritional part of the alcoholic drink is definitely the fruit that garnishes it. Okay, now we have a picture of you and how you act and how you came to be the way that you are. I'm curious, what's a place that said that they were sustainable or whatever terms they use are green? And then you started working with them. And I'd like to hear one where they were not sustainable, but they thought they were. And what happens? How do you break it to them? How do you see it? How do they see it? And what do you do about it? And what can we learn from it? Well, out of respect for the festivals. Oh, keep it name, keep the name quiet. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to say their names, but there's been a couple of festivals that we actually had to dissolve the relationship with them because they didn't adhere to our high sustainability standards. And to me, I built my company on a lot of integrity and to separate our strategies and like our sustainable events from the greenwashing ones. Greenwashing meaning that they're overselling their sustainability program when they're not actually doing much. And for me, why I built my company is that I actually wanted to produce fully sustainable events. And the, all the festivals that we work with now are definitely there. But there were some a couple of years ago that just wanted to sign on to us because they thought that was the right thing to do. And they wanted to say that they were working with Waste Free, but then they were not supporting us on the backhand, which was very annoying because I want to make sure that we actually are living up to our values and making sure that we're diverting as much waste as possible and that we're eliminating waste as much waste as possible. What would they say? Like they would come to you and say, this is what we want to do. And you would say, okay, this is how we do it. I mean, can you go into more detail? And I, there's enough festivals out there that we can't figure out which they were. Yeah, I wouldn't say that it was details. more so like what they would say. It was more so them not giving us the staff contact list to reach out to every department to send our sustainability guidelines out, not giving us access to all the food vendors to make sure that they were plastic-free and compostable compliant not inviting us to like department head meetings so that we could talk to all the department heads and let them know of our services. Because for our programs to work, every department has to know about them. Because if they don't, then we're just here to manage the waste. And that's not what I built my company on. It's like, yeah, we'll manage the waste, but that's the last thing that we do. We go in, we eliminate the waste first. We offer up alternatives, offer up reusables, and then we'll divert it and manage it. So when they're not connecting us with all the departments, then 
we we can't be successful. So that's when we would dissolve the relationship. And then you have some that want to go for a certification. So they spend thousands of dollars or tens of thousands of dollars on a certification that honestly is a, a bunch of BS, but they're spending upwards of like sometimes 20 grand on this certification to say that they are sustainability leaders, but it's all a bunch of fluff because it's easy. A lot of the certifications are pretty easy to fluff out there, except for B Corp. I love B Corp assessments. But they're spending the money on that and they're complaining about the budget, but yet they just spent tens of thousands of dollars on this sustainability certification when they could have used that money to actually implement awesome sustainability programs. So, What are some things that they are doing and what would you have them change? Well, mostly all of them are definitely managing the waste and trying to divert it. So that's kind of surface level stuff, but some don't even introduce composting yet. And there's many different ways you could do, because I'm not big on compostable products, but we still use them because it's better than landfill products. But if they're like, oh, there's no industrial compost facility around, like, no, like we could still either contact like a pig or chicken farm and at least do back of house, meaning like catering or backstage where there's low volume of waste, so low contamination. And we could still divert some compost. And there's so many different ways that you could go about it. But sometimes people are just like, nope, this is what we want to do. And that's that. And usually that's when we'll probably dissolve the relationship with them. But what do they do? Before they ever contacted you, presumably they provide beverages. What's the waste that they're producing that you would do something about? If Before you ever came into the picture, tell me what a concert or an event looks like relevant to its sustainability. And what do you see when you get there? Okay, so if you're going to a general event that maybe we're not doing they don't have a festival sustainability partner. You might walk in, you're, you might get a program, a program that's non-recyclable, usually printed on glossy paper. So you'll get that and those end up littering the grounds. Next, you'll see that they're selling a ton of plastic water bottles for outrageous prices <laughs> for like five, $6. Then you'll also see the food vendors serving up on like Coca-Cola and plastic bottles or Gatorade and plastic bottles have baked goods wrapped in plastic. They're selling chip bags in plastic. Again, they have plastic utensils, just a ton of unnecessary waste that you're just being given to. And now it's your responsibility to do something about it and hopefully divert the right way if they have recycling or composting on site. But sometimes all they have is a little bit of recycling and landfill. And at other times they just have everything going into one dumpster, which is really bad. Am I right that they're thinking to themselves, all right, we got to get rid of, as long as we dispose of the waste properly, we're okay. And we're going to get someone to take care of that. But really, it sounds to me like they are blind to this. They see it, but it doesn't register them as garbage. It doesn't register, like they see all the Gatorade bottles and the Coca-Cola bottles. They see them, but in no way in their mind is it connected to, say, the South Sea Islands that are covered with plastic. They just think that's someone else. Is it something like that? Yeah, well, especially because from an attendee perspective, they're here to have a good time. They just spent hundreds of dollars on a festival ticket. So they're not really thinking about that. Or they used to not think about it. Now we're noticing that a lot of attendees are asking for more sustainable events because there's so many out there. So they'd rather put their money towards events that are socially and environmentally responsible. So that's been a good wave. And producers are switching over too. I've been doing this over half a decade and it was really hard to present sustainability programs to festivals before because they didn't see a need for it. They just got over spending more money on 
just typical waste management. So they didn't understand the fact that we now have to go into every single department and look at ways to eliminate the waste before even managing it. It was a tough sell, I would say, for a while. But within the past year or two, it's been a lot easier to sell it. But also greenwashing is bigger than ever in the um, events world, which has been tough to deal with because we'll have events spending a ton of money on marketing and PR for the sustainability programs. But then what they're doing isn't really that groundbreaking. Usually when you see a festival overselling the sustainability programs, typically means that they're not doing anything groundbreaking, whereas the ones that are doing amazing sustainability programs, they don't spend all the money on marketing it. They'll still market it, but not to the extent of some festivals. So when you described what you see, you're describing it from the attendees' perspective. What about from the organizers' perspective? What do they see when they're, like, when they're putting this together and they're thinking, all right, they're going to be there for a couple of days. We got to get them some food. We got to get them something to drink. We got to get them some en- the entertainment. Are they thinking sustainability or are they just thinking, let's do what we've always done? We're trying to get the lowest bidder or? I would say money is a huge factor. So they might be aware of the environmental impact that the waste has and their choices about it. But it always, it typically always comes down to a budget thing. So if they don't have it in the budget to do stronger sustainability programs, they're not going to do it. And that's a, a harsh reality, but it's, especially for the smaller events, they don't have a bigger budget to really work with. They don't have the large scale sponsors or, you know, 100,000 attendees when it's usually, it's under 10,000. So that plays a significant role in it. That's what producers say. Like they are the ones creating the budget and approving certain things. So if they see a, high ticket product or service, they're going to be a little apprehensive on it because that's a big chunk of the budget that they're now giving up and putting towards something that they didn't think was needed up until a couple of years ago. I guess they're not intrinsically motivated. I guess some of them are, but I guess the ones who come to you are often, to them, sustainability is just like an add-on. I'm here to deliver music to an audience and I don't want to think about all that stuff. And these other companies, they, they'll provide me with the food. I don't have to think twice about it. And now you're coming in and telling me, well, it's not just food. There's all this waste that's coming out of it. I'd rather just not think about that. Is that something you have to deal with a lot of? Yeah, I would say that's a big reality. But once they sign on to us, then like, oh, this was so easy. And then we have 100% return rate in clients, which is really awesome because it's one less thing for them to have to worry about because we work pretty independently. And then the systems that we put in place are pretty seamless, especially if you've been working with an event for multiple years. But from the producer's side, um, I mean, perspective, the ones that reach out to us are really keen to helping out the environment. We've been very, very fortunate with the producers that we've worked with for most of them. Like we've let go of the ones that don't care too much about sustainability, because if they don't care about sustainability, it's going to be really hard for us to stream on our programs and they might care about sustainability and the fact that they get more sponsors because of it, or it's better marketing material. But as long as they support us and we're able to create actual change, then that's fine. But we have producers that are all about sustainability and they practice what they preach. There's one of my favorites that's Scotty that puts on Winter Wondergrass and he really practices what he preaches and he's all about sustainability. You even see him once in a while helping us out with hauling the waste or even sorting through it, which was really cool. Oh, so he's a producer and he's like picking up garbage himself and like hauling it around with his bare hands. Yeah, especially when it was smaller too. He helped out 
a lot, which is amazing. And he always gives um, us the right credibility and just really showcases the sustainability programs. But he, he's a surfer, so he and he loves the mountains, so he really wants to keep the areas that he loves waste free. So let's return the favor. You said his the name of the of the show really quickly. Can you say it again? Winter Wondergrass. Winter Wondergrass. Cool. And now going back to the ones that are out and out greenwashing, are they intending to greenwash or are they ignorant? And are they thinking, let's not be sustainable and say we are? Or is there something more innocent, but ignorant or something like that? I think everyone... <laughs> wants to be a part of the sustainability movement that's going on right now. The zero waste movement is really mainstream. So the festivals or even just large scale events in general are competing against one another to be the most sustainable ones. So they're putting the money into marketing and the program so that people know like, hey, like this festival is coming up. Oh, it's going to be like the most sustainable one yet. And they oversell the programs and then we get on site and it's not like that because so you have to be putting the finances and resources into making the sustainability programs happen. I went to an event over the summer that we didn't lead the sustainability efforts at because they said that they were all set on it and they spent all this money on putting the program and marketing that they were super sustainable and that everything was 100% compostable and they went from plastic water bottles to box water because it was more sustainable, which is actually a lie. That's a huge greenwashing technique. And I got there and half the people at the food vendors were compostable. They even had styrofoam and plastic water bottles being sold at some of them. And then they were sponsored by a box water company, those carton type water, which is actually worse than a plastic water bottle because you have multiple different layers of cardboard, paper, wax, plastic, and foil. And there's no way that Murph could split all those layers off and make it into a recyclable product. Even though it may be made with all recyclable material, that end product is not recyclable. Whereas a plastic water bottle, I'm not advocating for plastic water bottles, um, could actually be recycled more than that carton one. So it just goes to show. There's there's a lot going into it. (laughs) This is why I love talking to you is that like you also add, not that I would advocate plastic. Because a lot of people would be like, well, you got to do something. I guess I'll go with the best one available. So what would you do instead? And what do you do when you go to a lot of these things as an attendee, even when you're not working at at it? Yeah, I would say that I don't go to them so much, but I really do like going there to investigate. I would say I go there more (laughs) Um, just to figure out ways that we could better explain our services and our value to people to understand where they're missing the gaps. And usually it's a a fault in communication. But for us, it's you always have to make sure that you have enough water refill stations. So this festival that I went to just to observe, they only had two water refill stations for an event over 20,000 people in the middle of summer. So to me, like if I was leading the sustainability for that, I would know that that was certainly not enough that there's no way that you could service 20,000 people on a hot summer day with only two water refill stations for the whole event. Then for a backup, after we do all of the water refill stations, and they are expensive to do. So when you see a festival that is offering free water refill stations, they took a huge financial investment in it because they used to make a ton of money off of single-use plastic water bottles. 
it's not, it's definitely not cheap to have the water refill stations there, but there's new ways that we've been more creative. So we don't have to have too many water refill stations back of house for production, site operations, the staff members and artists is you could take one of the 10 gallon containers that you see on the water coolers. And there's this knob called the dolphin and you put it on there and you just pump it and it gives you fresh water there. So we've been incorporating those more because they're way less expensive to use, but really just making sure that single use bottles are the last option. We use aluminum bottles now as a backup, just in case, because we do have requests from artists that have been traveling for a very long time and they don't want to risk the filtration system, which we understand. So for backup for that, we have, even though we've never had a problem with water, I should say that, but we have the aluminum water bottles that are single use, but they're highly recyclable. Again, I'm not advocating for it because it's a single use product, but that's what we use for a last resort and for medical reasons. We do have to have water bottles stashed behind. Do I read right that the concert promoters go through a process similar to what you as an individual did of, you described a six month to a year switch and change of habits, but we're creatures of habits. So once we switch, it's that's natural to stay this way. Do the concerts go through the same process or something similar? Yeah. Oh man, it's so nice when we have worked with festivals for multiple years in a row because you start to create this culture of sustainability where people are excited to go to the event because they know that it's going to be sustainable and they don't have to worry about trash all around. We just did an event in Buffalo, New York called Borderland Music Festival. It was a first-year festival last year, and this was our second year. And even after year one and the reviews, like the Facebook reviews, people were commenting about how they loved how there wasn't much trash anywhere because there was we had a reusable cup program going on. We had water refill stations, and everything was compostable at the event, too, and we were single-use plastic-free. And again, for year two, people were so excited, and they're bringing their reusable cups that they got last year to this year's event. So they understood that, yeah, they don't need to buy another reusable cup because that's just adding more waste into the waste stream, even though it's a reusable product. They're bringing the one from last year, using it for this year, and they've been using it in their everyday life. And it's really amazing once we see that that culture is being built and we get tons of requests to be on the green team, which is our volunteer team. And even with Winter Wondergrass, that other festival I was talking about, we've been doing that for going on six years. And the culture's there. Everyone gets it. Now we're diving deeper into um, sustainability programs because the waste diversion is down. People understand what we're all about there. So we get to go into the departments more deeply and figure out creative ways to reduce waste and introduce more reusables. Like even in the back of house for the artist, the the AR team for both Winter Wondergrass and Borderland they started using mason jars full of sugar and honey. And now there's just reusable spoons that the artists could use the reusable spoon, fill with sugar, and then dump it into their coffee so we don't have single-use compostable. So it's just getting people to think about that. And we get emails all the time from department heads about, hey, like, what do you think about this idea to reduce waste? People get excited and I'm like smiling so big right now because it makes me happy that we've inspired the departments to think on a different level than they might have not thought of before. And then they bring that to other festivals that they've worked and they're sent us videos of it or photos. I'm hearing that it's fun. Yeah, it's so much fun. (laughs) I love my job so much. (laughs) 
<gasps> Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable, join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. And I, have to, I can't help but comment that every time I walk people through an, taking on an environmental challenge, I think every single time, one of the results is that it creates community. It connects them with their husband or their wife or their kids or their boss or people around them or the baristas at the coffee shop where they don't bring, you know, where they're bringing their own mug and trying to explain what's going on. And after you do it, it's almost obvious but before people do it, they're thinking about what they're giving up. And then when they do it, when you were talking about people bringing back their cups, I was thinking about asking if they used to make $5 a pop for the water bottles, that motivates them to want to sell more water bottles. And now they got this total like internal thing of like, we want to not pollute, but we want to make money. And partly I might ask, how do they make the money if they're not making $5 a pop and probably people are buying, sometimes probably someone might buy five or 10 of them. Like that's a good amount of money for them that they're going to give up. But I'm thinking that they probably can now take for granted a certain number of people coming because it's a community that people feel a part of it in the same way that people happily wear a Patagonia label knowing that they paid a lot for their thing. But the people I know who like Patagonia, it's like they really are into the company and its practices and they wouldn't do it any other way. And I feel like that's probably happening with you you probably know better than I do. Is that the case? Yeah, I would say even from the attendee perspective too, they care, they're caring more and more about the sustainability program. So say like if they had to raise the price a couple bucks at the festival ticket, they would still be more inclined to buy it because they care about the programs and they know that we are practicing what they preach. We're very transparent. We show them our area that we call the bone zone, which is our sort zone. It's because the site ops is called the Boneyard. So we switched it up for ours. And we show videos of us sorting through all the ways and document us dropping off the compost, the local compost facility. So people know that they are legit programs. And if people have questions about it, we are more than happy to help answer them or to show them what we're doing because there is so much greenwashing out there. So we'll see comments happening, especially when we're announcing a new program. They're like, oh, I don't believe you're actually going to do this. Like, okay, like we know that we'll make it happen, but like, thank you for your comment. And if you want to walk through it when you're on site with that on site, enjoying the festival, just let us know. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to switch because I want to keep asking about this and I want to keep learning more about the fun. And you talked about integrity a lot. And there's a parallel that I'm seeing in how you live your life, how you run your business and what you share with tens of thousands of people at a pop. Yeah. And it sounds like at the one hand, people associate this stuff with feelings of guilt because in my view, they haven't acted. And when they act, then that's the only way to make the guilt go away. You can't squash it. I guess you could, I was going to say, I guess you could stop doing the thing, which is acting. And then it becomes fun and joy and community and sharing. And I feel like in my experience, it's abundance. Oh, I have to tell you in the past, it's late summer and my CSA, I have two CSAs now for various reasons, which are kind of complicated. <laughs> it's not complicated, but it's fun. But in the past roughly two weeks, I've had, I think it was like a dozen or maybe 13 or 14 meals of, I'm just, 
I'm flooded with vegetables. They're cheap because they're in season. And I'm just like, please come over. I'll make you dinner. Yeah. Help me finish this because I'm not, I, I know I'm not going to let the food go bad. The, like I got my fridge is full of collard greens right now and this bok choy stuff. Yeah. It's not bok choy, but like bok choy. And it's abundant. And I'm sharing it because I have to, because I want to. And it's a, it's a real joy. And I'm hearing that at your end too. Oh, I love sharing my passion with people. I teach workshops, all of the festivals that we do the sustainability strategies at now, either do a workshop or a sustainability panel, depending on the vibe of the festival. Because sometimes we don't have the area to host a workshop where I'll teach people how to live waste-free. Other times we're just speaking to a selected few and a lot of media people about our sustainability programs. And to me, it's exciting because I know how much like the average person consumes per day every single day for the whole year, which is four and a half pounds. You multiply that by 365 days. Like an average person creates over 1600 pounds of waste a year. And while we're at the event, if we can inspire them to reduce their waste in their everyday life, that's going to create a larger impact than just at the festival. Like, cause they're going to go into the communities and start change. And we've had that happen at Borderland Music Festival. So the producer of that, Jennifer Brazil, she used to co-found Winter Wondergrass too. And she started her own festival called Borderland. And they're creating so much change within their community because they got so inspired while attending Borderland and our strong sustainability programs that they're growing and putting on plastic bands, on bags or styrofoam containers. And to me, that's creating such a big positive impact. And it makes me happy that we were able to inspire them to do so because everyone can make change as whether or not they want to spend the time to do it because it does take a lot of extra work. I spend a lot of time rescuing food outside of working, like owning my own company. I'll spend time rescuing food from other different events that I may not be working at just so that doesn't get wasted. It's, I take a lot of extra time out of my days, but it it's, means a lot to me. And I think people forget that sometimes it might take a little extra time, but once you get in the habit of it, it doesn't feel like a burden at all. You're excited to do it. I look forward to doing it. Just like how I look forward to riding my bike to work every single day. Do you have the same reaction that I do when you hear people say, here's one little thing that you could do, or here's how you can, here's how you can travel without hurting too much. Uh, here's how you can fly around the world without, without like affecting things too much. Yeah. I would say I always love hearing what people have to say because I'm constantly learning and that's the process of living waste-free is that new information is coming at you all the time. Oh, I was trying to get it. When people say, here's one little thing you can do, it implies to me that the person doesn't want to do it. And I asked that after you were talking about how you like going big. And to me, it's like, I saw one, it was in the New York Times, and they were saying how when you fly and when your computer, when you're not actively using your computer, close the lid because that'll save power. Mm-hmm. Yes, technically that will save power. And if that leads you to fly again, you'd have to turn off the laptop lid like a billion times to ke- to make up for <laughs> this extra flight. And there's a lot of people who just want to like make this problem go away. They just want like someone to make a solar powered plane and a plastic that decomposes. And it doesn't decompose when you're using it, but it does decompose magically just when you're done. And I feel like they're missing out on something great. I guess the analogy I used in my TEDx talk was, I said, a lot of people think when I talk about Al Gore or DiCaprio telling people to conserve while they themselves are flying, they think that I'm calling them a hypocrite, but I'm not. I think that they're missing out. 
it's like someone who eats so much ice cream that they lose that apples are delicious and sweet. And it may take a while for your taste buds to recover. It could take months. But when they do, the apple tastes sweeter than the ice cream did, even though it's less sugar. And likewise, if you try to do all these little knickknack things and like, okay, I'll avoid straws or you somehow you get like a metal straw and, and you don't need a straw at all. But then if you just jump in and say, all right, I'm going to live this way. I'm like, I'll go for a year without flying, make that adjustment and then see what it's like. It's like going for a month without added sugar to anything, which to me are like the boring fruit. Like I love apples, but I'll take a mango usually over an apple. But now actually it's changed. Like even apples are like unbelievably delicious. Like I shockingly delicious to me now. I can't believe. And that was never accessible to me. And had I just, like, if I was someone who would, like, instead of drinking soda, I'd drink diet soda, I don't think I'd still be living a bland life, whereas now it's full of delicious. And I hope the parallel is obvious. If you just kind of try to avoid a little bit of, like, whatever the latest trend is on polluting less somehow, like you're wearing jewelry that's made from plastic from the ocean, but you're not jumping in to go full bore you just feel like you're having bland, like you're drinking diet soda instead of the really the stuff you really want to drink, which tastes better, as opposed to realizing eating fruit blows it out of the water if your taste buds have recovered. Yeah, you are hitting on so many <laughs> points, which I always like roll my eyes secretively uh, when people are talking to me about sustainability. The biggest one I would say is they're... They think like compostable products, I'm not really that big on, but again, like we use them for events where we can't have full reusable plate programs in place. But if you are like living a day to day and you're going to get coffee every single day and you go to a place because they're serving in compostable and you think that, oh, it's compostable. So that means it's okay to still overconsume this product. You're definitely missing what the sustainability movement is all about and it's to not overconsume. So a single-use product is a single-use product, no matter if it's like the latest, more environmentally sustainable option. It still takes a lot of resources to make this one product that's only going to be used for a couple moments of your whole entire day. And people forget that because they're like, oh, like it's highly recyclable or it's compostable. So I'll just keep on consuming and I won't change my habits. I'll keep on ignoring them. I'll keep on ignoring that if I'm using compostable product, I'm probably supporting GMO and monocropping and oh, if I'm using aluminum water bottles more now because, hey, it's aluminum and it's highly recyclable, so I'm just going to keep on buying it. Meanwhile, I'm forgetting that you have to mine for these finite materials that make up this aluminum canner bottle. Plus, when you recycle it, it's getting shipped all throughout the United States or even internationally. So that has a huge effect. So again, the single-use products, I would like to see more innovation for people creating the reusable systems because I know it can be done because I set them up at, you know, events all across the country. And when Denver Pepsi Arena came out with like, hey, like we're stopping plastic cups at our arena. So or baseball field, whatever it was. And they're going to single use aluminum cups. And when I read that article, I just instantly gave out a huge sigh and rolled my eyes because they're missing the point. It's like, 
single, the plastic, yeah, it's an issue, but it's a single use that's an issue. If you think this is solving the problem, no, it's not. Like you're just going from one single use material to the next and then probably to another material when more information comes out that aluminum isn't, we shouldn't be consuming it at the rate that we're consuming it now. And I know that they could set up a reusable cup program with a deposit and get more people on reusable products there. Because there's so many systems in place where even if you don't have the capacity to wash the dishes on site, you could ship them to a facility that will wash them for you and then ship them back. So it can be done. And I, people, uh, I don't know if it's a lazy thing or they're, I really don't know. But when I saw that article, I, I got really upset because they could be doing more and they should be doing more. I think that there's, even for what you said that they could do, I think there's a, a beyond what they could do physically. What happens if a place shifts, let's say it's this arena in Denver and with a name like Pepsi on it. <laughs> yeah. I'm not looking forward to them changing quickly, but say they did. Say they went full bore and I'm not sure exactly what they would do. You're the expert, but let's say they implemented it. What would happen then? What would be, what would change, if anything, well, what we're saying is that there'd be less waste on the ground because it's a reusable cup. And when people have a deposit on something, they're more likely to not pollute the ground with it because, oh, I'm going to go back and get my dollar or $2 back. So they have a connection with the product. And that's what you want. When people don't have a connection with something, they're more inclined to pollute it on the grounds or just throw it out and overconsume it. That's a big thing that we have with sponsors and partners at events, which we've been getting more into is please don't give out cheap, useless promotional swag because people aren't going to be connected to it and they're not bringing the brand home with them. It's going to be on the grounds and it's going to be in the dumpsters because we do the waste analysis. So we know that's what's happening. They're not and that's what's happening the at these football games or baseball games is people are excited, they're getting drunk, but they're not connecting with the product because they could easily just go out and get another beer in a single-use cup and then drink it and then throw it on the ground. But if they had a deposit with it and we're... People, they returned it, and then you also had collection services where they could drop it off. It's easy, and people don't have to think about that much. They think that creating these reusable systems are hard, but they might be a financial investment at first. But again, if you do the the deposit on the cups, you could do, okay, it's $3, and then the attendee gets back half, and then you get back half. And you could have a single, I mean, a reusable plastic cup, that's fine because especially if you could get the plastic produced in-house in the United States, it's way better than getting a reusable stainless steel cup that's mined in China and then shipped over there. That carbon footprint analysis just blows it out of the water for local, locally produced reusable plastic. So I'm kind of going all over the place, but that's really what's been on my mind and what I'm really passionate about is by creating systems. I know that it can be done. And just putting this band-aid over that, oh, hey, like we're not using plastic cups anymore. We're going to use single-use aluminum cups instead. It's not solving the issue. I would have been more impressed if they said, hey, we're going to implement a reusable cup program too, alongside having backup the single-use aluminum cup. Because it is highly more recyclable. But it's not solving the issue. It's just putting a band-aid on it temporarily until something else blows up. Like, oh, hey, like... We're in a shortage for aluminum. Right? I, I was trying to lead the witness here. I'm going to lead the witness totally overtly. Okay. If I had asked you, how has your life changed as a result of what you're doing? You don't answer, well, I connect more with brands. I think that if a place went full bore and, I mean, you talked about it with the Bluegrass Wonderland, that there's a community that forms, that people are happier. I think that talking about 
the amount of waste decreasing is one thing, but I think that completely undersells, like I anticipate that it would build community, that the people would be happier and people would go around saying how this is an awesome stadium. This is like a world-class stadium. This is an amazing thing. And it, it, going well beyond, like the, the polluting less is the medium of change. But I feel like what happens is the way that you talk about your life now as compared to your life before is how the community around the arena would change compared to how the arena was before. Because before the arena, there's an adversarial relationship. They want money from you. You know, they want to sell as much of this water as possible, as high a price as possible. And if they have to switch, I, I can't see it through because I'm not in your field. Well, I'm thinking like the summit. So I try to work with them. This is super high ticket because it's thousands of dollars. You got to stay at one of the hotels that they, that they connect with. And so there's everyone's staying very close. And you, most people get roommates of someone that you don't know specifically so that you meet the people. So what they feel is a tug because they have to provide a very, I don't know what the term would be. It's like a high margin, high touch. You know, people want to feel coddled or that they're really taken care of because they're putting in thousands of bucks for a couple of days. And they sent out the email saying, this is how much we saved compared to plastic. And I rolled my eyes when I read that too, partly because of what you're saying, because I'm thinking it's not just paper. There's got to be stuff in there. But also I'm thinking, I'm not comparing it to the worst thing you could possibly do because I've certainly murdered fewer people than Charles Manson. That doesn't make me a saint. Not that I want to make it a religious or moral issue. But compare yourself to a lot of just wasting tons of plastic and wasting tons of other stuff might not seem so bad. I didn't realize that it could be yet more damaging the earth's ability to sustain life in human society. But they also think that if they don't provide these things for people, they'll feel like they were gypped or something like that. So they got to provide this, all this stuff. And they got all these sponsors who are giving away lots of their disposable stuff. I would just eat the apples and oranges that they provided, but other people were eating all the candy and junk in wrappers. And, and then saying to me, what can I do? They're, they're providing me with all this garbage. I can't help produce all this garbage. I'm like, I didn't produce it. And the orange I ate tasted better. Yeah, you, you chose not to consume it. What they're not realizing, I have this vision where Summit would have one day, they have one trash can for the entire event and everyone is urged to use that trash can only, even like not use a trash can in your hotel room, just that one. And for, I don't know, it's like 2,500 people at the end of a five-day event, that trash can is still not full. Like that's my vision. And I think in order to make that happen, you got to have a lot of low-level details, like what do we provide? How do we talk to the sponsors and so forth? But the big thing is you have a goal, you have a mindset, like we are in this together. And when that happens, I think the high touch shoots up in terms of people connecting with each other, not expecting passively for it to be handed to them. Like, oh, they'll take care of everything. And if they don't take care of it, well, that's their fault. If I polluted, it's their fault, not mine. But rather that it activates everyone and everyone's a part of it. And also, you know, I, I took the train out there and I envision having a bus that would go from New York, or we'd maybe we'd somehow, if it's possible to get enough seats to fill up the train car. And that'd be like three days of everyone together. You know, a lot of the people involved with this event are very successful and they, they have media connections and they have podcasts and blogs and they are producers that people listen to. And imagine a bunch of people like that in a train ride together, on a, a tour bus together, going across the country. I would certainly imagine, I think it would be like super fun, super newsworthy, I saw Summit like leapfrogging over, you know, Davos is one of their peers and Davos had 1,500 Learjets flying for an event 
you, I'm sure you've heard about this, the World Economic Forum, and they took a big black eye because at an event where Greta took a train, 1,500 people took Learjets to an event that was largely about sustainability. And if someone actually was acted sustainably, if an event actually took sustainably and made it part of them the way that you talk about the ones that you've worked with, mm-hmm. they could leapfrog over something that's been more established. And I see a community forming that's tight, that people love what they're doing. They love each other for everyone else doing what they're doing. And the world taking notice because they're pretty big. And if, if a bus is coming from New York to do this, I would have to imagine that people from Phoenix and San Francisco, it's in LA, and Denver and so forth would take, it would be much easier for them to at least carpool. And so I have this vision of like the entry, the starting point, like the, the threshold is a little less waste or maybe a lot less waste. But the outcome is not about, it's about the human emotional system and a community emotional system. That's what I'm envisioning for an event that if they just look at it in terms of what do we do about these paper cups? Can we do something different? And when I was out in LA, I took the train out. I took the train up to Ventura and got a tour of Patagonia's world headquarters. That place is like the camaraderie and the, I got your back, you got my back and the mutual support. And when someone has an idea, like I would ask how they did, like, what did you do over here? I noticed you're not doing, you know, most cafeterias that have plastic or paper or whatever. And they're like, oh yeah, one person saw the problem before and they just mentioned it, but they didn't know what to do about it. Now, right there, I thought, I'm sure many people listening have been in some place that in the middle of the summer is air conditioned down to the, like 60 degrees. And they're like, well, you know, you call maintenance and maintenance is like, oh, I can't do it. And you get like, and everyone gives up at that point, but not a Patagonia because someone else will take, they'll hear the problem and they'll think, well, here's how to solve it. But maybe they don't know how to actually implement it. And then someone else will pick up the solution to actually implement it. And so they just feed off of each other. And it was a really wonderful place. I doubt that place when there's a job opening, I bet that they don't put up ads on LinkedIn because everyone wants to work there. It's like, please, can I work there? And you've gone full circle because people are volunteering with you. Like they want to volunteer with you. They want to give you free labor. I just rambled for a while, but you're in, like I was trying to do it with them and I just didn't get the kind of what you're talking about. Like some people talk to me and they sound enthusiastic about it, but most people that they would talk to I felt like it was like pulling teeth. What could it be like? What could a festival be like? What could a, a, a concert or a, a venue be like if they fully get on board with this, even beyond what Bluegrass Wonderland did? Do you have a vision of what, what it could be? Uh, it's just called Winter Wondergrass or Borderland. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I was laughing. But it's definitely a cultural shift at the events. And like you are saying, people are happier when they're taking part in the sustainability programs and that they know that they're creating change. And also when they know that we're super receptive to their feedback, if they don't feel like we're living out to our sustainability values, or if they have an idea, like we get tons of different requests of people like, Hey, like, do you do this or that? And it's just amazing to see the community that we're building. And when people show up for the sustainability panels and the waste-free workshops, it's there and people want to learn more. And as long as you're doing it in a way where it seems accessible to everyone and welcoming to everyone too, where they're like, oh no, like those of our mentalists, I don't want to take part in that. If you're just like, hey, like this is what we're doing and like we hope that you join along with us. And if not, like you're still going to take part in it. 
but you don't have to take the full amount because either way they're going to take part in it because all this stuff is compostable. There's no single use plastic water bottles on site. So regardless, like they're going to take part in it. But if they want to take it to the next level and volunteer with us or offer up solutions, and we even have green towns where we have local nonprofits and environmental organizations. Plus my company has our own sustainability booth there too, where we engage with people and we give them tips on how to live waste-free and they come to us and they just let us know what they've done since last year to be more sustainable. And we have little note cards that people could write on and hang them up that are all upcycled stuff that we got from other events because people want to share their journey and we want to congratulate them for taking that next step. But we also want to encourage them to do more too. It's like, okay, like you started doing this. One lady came up and switched her um, baby over to reusable diapers, which is a huge move. That's like not an easy task (laughs) to do if you have a kid. But she got so inspired and she started doing it and it's great. And she has multiple kids too. So just hearing those stories really just amplifies and validates why I do the work that we do and how we're setting up this culture. And if people go to other events, they're like, hey, like, I really like going to events that I know where Waste Free Earth is doing the sustainability because I know it's going to be a sustainable event. I know there's not going to be much waste and I know I'm going to love the culture. And we've had reviews like that before. So we know that we're creating this culture around sustainability and people are getting excited about it. I think it's more noticed when they go to other events, but there's a lot of waste going on and you could just feel the energy that it's about overconsumption and maybe more profit driven, which is fine. And, you know, in different capacities, but there's definitely a positive culture at the events that we help with sustainability. And that's not just to do with us. It's also the producers and then putting on a really nicely run event. I want to switch tacks a bit here too. Thank you for sharing that. And actually, usually I ask people what the environment means to them when they act on it. Like you talked about your experience with the glow sticks but let me ask the question anyway, and maybe that's the answer. But what motivates you when you think about acting on the environment? Is that it? Are there more things? What motivates me for the environment? I would say just knowing all that I know about waste and overconsumption. Yeah. What do you know? Like, what are the images? Like, what's the emotional, what's the emotion driving it? I'm not looking for like a logical thing. It's usually yeah, something like a memory. Definitely or- the emotion when I watch Beth Terry's TED Talk about my plastic-free life. And she pulled up these slides of, I think it was called Bird Island, where the stomachs of the birds were opened up because they unfortunately passed away because of all the plastic that they were ingesting. And right there, that's when it hit me. And that's why I do it because these animals didn't have any say. And same with the environment. Like they have no say in the destruction that we're doing to their home, their livelihood, and their ecosystems. It's just not fair. And I think for people, it's hard for them to grasp climate change because they can't see the greenhouse gases being emitted into the atmosphere. And a lot of people can't see the ice caps melting. But for me, seeing the insides of the bird's stomach and seeing that that didn't just come out of nowhere, that's our single-use overconsumption lifestyle right there that is destroying the planet. And that's what I do what I do and to like reduce my waste because I don't want my products ending up in the stomachs of birds or other wildlife. So based on, I take it that you saw those images before you had the epiphany with the glow sticks. Actually afterwards, probably six months afterwards, I, I saw it. The glow sticks was a first realization and then I couldn't stop seeing the waste and I was becoming aware of it. That's when I started my waste-free journey. But 
because I became aware of it, I started researching it online and I stumbled across Beth Terry's TED Talk. And ironically, like two months later, she was coming to speak in Incline Village, Nevada, where I was going to school out in Tahoe. And I went and saw her speak and I was just sold from that moment on. Based on that that imagery and that feeling, I invite you at your option, I do this all in my guests, to think of something that you could do to act on that, that you're not already doing. It doesn't have to fix all the world's problems. It's not, this is not about how big of an effect you can have. It can be minuscule, but just something and not leading others to do it, but you with your own hands doing something that makes a measurable difference. There's a lot of things that go through my mind lately. What's been a big realization for me is screen time. So I grew up in a family that had TVs going all the time. Like I had this background noise consistently. And because of that, I prefer to do work with some background noise. But the past couple of weeks, I've become really aware of it. So I actually decided to go without Netflix for at least a month and see the difference. And so far, it's only been a week, but it's been pretty amazing, the changes. But people forget about the effects that streaming has besides psychologically, but also environmentally, because we're just so used to just plugging everything in. It's like, oh, your computer is dying. Just plug it in. Or like the TV, like is now doesn't waste much energy anymore. So you can leave it on for longer. So that for me is my next step because I feel like I have, you know, the waste side of things down. But being a consultant before I'm on site streamlining the events for festivals, I already have plenty of screen time and also, you know, running the social media for my personal sustainability account and then my company's account. Like I just have already enough screen time. I don't need to have that background noise. I don't need to be streaming because streaming takes a lot of energy. So that's my thing that I'm working on is not watching Netflix or having background noises. So, okay. So I heard that you've already implemented the Netflix thing. Yeah, that has been the latest one because it's only, I started after we talked last week. So yeah, I guess that's still, I'm still implementing it, but it's new. I'd like to, you know, go multiple months or however long without it, just not use it as much. Not that I really use it that much. I guess a lot of the stuff, they're, they're in works. And I haven't mastered them, per se. Not that I've mastered the waste thing, but I feel really confident in my way to consume them. I say that in travel, I've reduced my plane going on flights by half this year because I became aware of that. I still am traveling every month or every other month on a plane to go work an event. But ideally, one day I would like to maybe go a year without jumping on a flight and figuring out different alternatives to get there or reducing it by another half too. Because I used to be boarding a flight every other week. So I want to take all these things you mentioned and do as many of these you want, but can we pick one to be one that if you're up for to implement and then talk about next time? If you want to cut the Netflix as one, we could, because you mentioned that it, start, it, it resulted from our last conversation. Or if we count that as something you're already doing and if there's something new that you want to do, because it sounded like you want to add on to that one. Yeah. And the usual term I use is like to make a smart goal. So specific, measurable, realistic, time-bound. Oh, this is something I've been wanting to do. Okay. So this this will help keep me accountable. I've been wanting to, because when I go shopping, I've limited myself to only having four glass containers a month because of the recycling systems for glass. That's been not the best lately. And even though it's recyclable, I want to start using everything that I consume. So if I have to go get like those glass jars, I have to find a use for them. 
And so even if something is recyclable or maybe compostable, I want to figure out a use for them as long as possible before immediately recycling and composting them. And that I would like to initiate more of because I think people, and even me, I might get caught up like, oh, something's recyclable, but there's more functions for it than it just being recyclable. So I would like to initiate that more and use that stuff, especially because it's my my pasta sauce and my kimchi that all come in glass containers. So either talking to the companies because they're local to see if I could reuse those jars so I could get my kimchi filled up in there, but just reusing them to a, a stronger extent. Okay. So to be specific, so between now and next time we speak, or I don't know how long it would take actually, but for you to, can you be very specific? Cause I wasn't clear and not cause I wasn't clear, but because the more specific a task is then the easier it is to, I find for people to do it. Yeah, I guess because it's still new to me, I've been coming up with the the terminology. But for me, it would just be if I am given something or if I choose to put my money towards it, I have to find another alternative for it before immediately, per se, ending its life in the compost bin or the recycling bin, is what I would say. Okay. And how long do you think it'll take before that clicks, before you can speak about it, about how how the experience has gone? Probably a month or two to initiate it because I've been thinking about it for a while and I just get overwhelmed with the waste. So <laughs> figuring out ways to reuse it, I'll want to start it right away. So I would say within a month or two. All right. So let's, let's give it two months and say, it, would it be cool to talk about the experience then? Yeah. Love to. Okay. I'll be curious to also talk about the Netflix things and the, and the flying things if those come up, but let's stick with one to be the, the one to do. And I, I want to reiterate for the listeners, as if they didn't know this already. You've already done a lot. There's a lot of people who are like, look, I already do the straws, okay? And I'm, I'll get solar one day. What more do you want me to do? And you've done a fair amount already. And it feels like you're like, let me get the next thing. Mm-hmm. I find it so exciting. Like you could, like you only have one life to live and you could constantly enhance it. Like if you have the ability to, it's just, I find it so much fun to have these experiments on myself. That's what my family says. Like, I always have to do the extreme of everything. Like, even with the Netflix, like, oh, come on. Like, you could still have TV. I was like, no, like, I don't need it. Like, it's, I don't need it to, to live. <laughs> this is the difference I was talking about between, like, doing the bare minimum or doing, like, here's one little thing versus really diving in. And then when you dive in, you're like, you want to do more. To me, it's like saying, here's one little thing. is like, if someone wants a baby and you say, well, get an ant farm instead. <laughs> like, yeah, it's got something similar but it's not the same. No one's ever like, get a puppy instead of a baby. They might say, get a puppy on the way to a baby. Yeah. As practice, but no one would say, stop at the puppy if you really want a baby. And you would not say, I would not say to someone like, if you really want to be sustainable, just don't get straws. And that's a difference. I would say it as like practice for more, but then it's not the straws. that's this thing. It's the action that counts. And, but go for the full bore, you know, no one should ever, no one who wants a child should ever be satisfied with an ant farm. I'll stand by that one. And no one who wants a sustainable world, I think, should stop at straws. I'm not saying don't do the straw thing, but use it as like a, a scale. Like when you're playing piano, you play scale and you got to start with the simple, but go for the big thing. Go for full on sustainability, regenerative. Yeah, I totally agree with you with the straw thing. That's it's definitely necessary. You should be refusing straws, but now we're almost over producing the reusable straws and people are missing the fact that they're putting this reusable straw in a cup that is either plastic with a plastic lid, 
which both of them most likely are non-recyclable. So just the irony in it. But I am excited that people are thinking more about it. But I have witnessed people that think that just having a reusable straw is enough. When in all reality, if you're able to drink a drink without having to use a straw, <laughs> you should do it. You should refuse it because just because it's compostable, like I was out at the bar the other night, I was getting drinks with friends and I was like, hey, like no straw, please. And the bartender was like, oh no, it's compostable. So no worries. Uh, and he like threw it in. I was like, no, like I still don't need the straw. Like, That's what I was trying to ask about before when I was like, when people say, you know, here's one little thing you can do it to me, it's like, don't worry, it's compostable. I'm like, the difference is not about compostability. The difference is in the perspective of what nature means to you and what your relationship is. And it's, it's like trying to tell someone who's half finished a tub of ice cream, how delicious an apple can taste. And all they're like, is like, well, this ice cream is really sweet. And this apple tastes like cardboard. And you're, you're telling me that cardboard is sweet. Can you explain to me again why the ice cream doesn't taste good? I'm like, oh, I can't. Yeah, it's hard. And some people will get inspired and go the extra mile. But I definitely do, like, especially on my personal Instagram page, focusing on sustainability, I do inspire people to do the little things that will eventually create bigger change because some people do get really overwhelmed with it. But if you could hook them with one little thing, but let them know that there's more to do if they they want to, because it has to be kind of like their decision, like they would want to do it, just like how me and you find it really exciting to keep on pushing ourselves to a different limit to be more sustainable and to be, you know, per se, like better versions of ourselves. They have to get addicted to it, too. And for me, it was like small little things all together that accumulated. And now I'm living you know, a waste-free type of lifestyle, a more sustainable type of lifestyle. But it was a little actions that got me there. So I don't want to discourage people on the little actions because they do make a difference. But if you have the accessibility, you should definitely take it a step further and just continue to do that. And then all those small steps will come up to one big step and you won't even have to think about living sustainably because you're just doing it without thinking about it. It's just your way of life. Let's pick up here next time. Not that we couldn't go on for longer. Oh, yeah, we always Not could. That we both don't <laughs> we want could to. end it because I have a meeting in 15 minutes. I do too, in like two minutes. Any last words for the listeners or anything I didn't think to ask? Last words, I would say, if you have the time, go and inventory your waste. That's the best way to learn about how to reduce your waste if you know what you're actually consuming. So if you are bored one night, go take a look at your, <laughs> your waste bin in your kitchen and see see what you're consuming. Can you email me a link that I can stick on so that people who hear that and want to act on it and can to get more specific, like a detail of what specifically to do? Yeah, of course. Okay, great. Well, Marina, I look forward to hearing how things go with your challenge and with others that you pick up because I want to hear all of them too. And thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you so much, Josh. I don't know how much more I can add to this conversation except that I can't hear what happens next. And I also can't help but ask myself, how many people has she influenced? Having begun simply by changing herself with no expectation of doing more, this is where the leadership opportunities are these days. I would guess each time she does something, it's tens of thousands of people, sometimes maybe hundreds of thousands. So she must be influencing people by the millions. I think it's got to add up to that for something that where she just wanted to change herself. So next time you hear someone say, oh, governments should change, corporations should change, one person, that doesn't make a difference. They should all make the difference. 
Actually, it looks like one person can make the difference. And if you're looking to lead, here's a big opportunity. Did you feel inspired too? Then act. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse. And living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference and living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.